joining the club, which is the church, is not getting saved. That's not joining the body of Christ, just putting your name on a church roll. That's why we have to do so much follow-up. We got to do so much calling. We got to do so much trying to encourage you to come on back to church. You didn't have a conversion like you need to have if we got to follow up on you to come back to church after you done said that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ and he come in and cleanse your heart, you have an appetite for him and nobody got to call you to see where you've been. Welcome to the light of the world, and this is Jerry G. Martin. It was Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's calling sinners to come to him, and he's calling for those of us who are not ashamed of him to share the good news with others. Come and go with us today as we share these messages to help us to grow and to be productive in the kingdom of God. We're still in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus is separating the committed from the crowd. And I believe there is still a separation today going on, where the Lord is separating the committed from the crowd. The crowd will go with the flow. The committed will go against the flow. The crowd is where people blend in. The committed is where people stand out. The crowd can hide and disappear when they are challenged. The committed rises to the challenge. In Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 34, I want to read this passage again we've been looking at, and I want to focus in on a particular verse. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit or lose his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We have talked about the three requirements Jesus placed on those who wish to move from the crowd to the committed. And those requirements are these. Number one, you must deny yourself. Secondly, we must take up our cross. And then thirdly, we are to follow him. We deny, take up and follow. Then the Lord challenges us with a statement and two questions. The statement is, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. The implication are these. If the most important thing in our life is our life, 
then we're not going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, holy and acceptable. If the most important thing to us is our life and how we manage it and how we run it and how we engage in it, if that's the most important thing, we're not going to offer that life as a living sacrifice. If our lives is the most important thing to us, we are not going to live it to discovering and applying the things that pleases God. We're going to live it to please ourselves if our life is the most important thing to us. It goes like this. It's my life. I'll do with it what I please. It's my life. I'll, I'll live my life like I please. You can't tell me how to live my life. We says it's mine. Well, your life is not your own, the Bible tells us. And you, you think it's your life because you are living it now. But if it's yours, you can keep it. But you can't keep it, the Lord says. You're going to lose it. If our lives are most important in this world, which is temporary, we will lose it for eternity. And God is interested in our lives for eternity. That was the statement that Jesus made. And these are the two questions that are rhetorical. Number one, what good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? I don't know if you thought about that or not. Maybe you can answer that question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The only benefit in it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul as if he doesn't think that there's anything else besides this world that we're engaged with. If he feels like there's no afterlife, there's nothing after he passes away, then he might as well try to gain everything he can while he's here because there's nothing else. But the Lord Jesus knows that there is something beyond this life and he says, that's your soul that is eternal. And if you lose that, you're going to lose it for eternity. And you're going to only be in this world for just a short time. A vapor, the Bible calls this life. He says, all men are like grass. We just are grown up one day and then we wither and we die and we're gone. That's this physical life in this realm. And he says, you shouldn't put all of your confidence in this physical life because there is an eternal life. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul forever? The second question was this. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, there's nothing that you have that is worth your soul. You may not believe that right now, but he said you'll believe it in the future because you're going to understand and see that the soul is the only thing you're going to have left. You're a soul man. James Brown wasn't the first one that came up with that. Or Sam and Dave. Who was it? Sam and Dave. Well, the shepherd, no. He's from Fifth Ward. He says, I'm a soul man. Well, you are a soul man. And each man has a, has a soul. The, and the Lord says, all souls are mine. But the soul that sinneth shall die. What can you give in exchange for your soul? What would you want to trade for that? Do you have anything that you want to trade for that? The answer is a rhetorical nothing. There is nothing that you can exchange 
for your soul. Then Jesus closes this passage with another statement, and that's where we're going to focus today on verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is a conditional statement as the outcome depends on your action. If you are ashamed of Jesus, in other words, if you cover up your relationship that you have with him, uh, let me put it this way. If you've been saved and walking with Jesus for any length of time, perhaps five years or ten years, and you've been working on a job for ten years and the folks don't know that you know Jesus, he says, I got a problem with that. Why don't the folks that know you doesn't know that you know Jesus? Because everybody else that's popular, everybody else that's famous that you know, you told them you know them. Let you meet somebody or take a picture with somebody who's famous. You're going to put post that picture on your Facebook page. You're going to tell folks, guess who I met? Guess who I saw? Guess whose autograph I got? But you know Jesus and been knowing Jesus, but you never told anybody. Guess who I met? And you can tell people that. You don't have to tell them how long ago you met them. But guess who I met? Guess who I talked to this morning? I talked to Jesus. He said, if any man is ashamed of me, if you are a closet Christian or a stealth Christian or an undercover agent for the Lord, secret servant, that's what he's talking about. Why are you not public with it? Why are you stealth? Why are you secret? What excuses did you make? What did you use to justify you are not saying anything? I don't think we have to be public with our love for the Lord. I don't think we have to say something to everybody. No, you don't have to say something to everybody, but you should have said something to somebody. Well, my life shows that I'm in a relationship with the Lord. You say. I got a bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus. If you are ashamed to be identified with Christ is what he's talking about. And you may say, I'm not ashamed, and you haven't done anything to purposefully disassociate yourself with the Lord. But what have you done to associate yourself with the Lord? There was an opportunity on your workplace when people were talking about things that was unholy and ungodly. There was an opportunity to speak something that was biblical and spiritual in that situation. But I didn't want to do that. I don't think it's my place. Maybe that's the preacher's job. But he said, if you are ashamed of me. And then secondly, he said, if you are ashamed of my words. If you feel like his words are not relevant today. If you feel like times have changed and we don't have to follow his word now like they did in the old days. That's not for us. That was for them. If you feel like you don't have to state his words publicly. And that you're not, you're even ashamed to say grace when you're in the restaurant. You just say it real fast. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You don't even want to say grace. Do you say grace when you go to lunch with your co-workers? You see, or you just decide that you're going to say it real silently while they're doing something else. Instead of saying, can we hold it just a moment? I want to say grace and bless my food, whether you, 
if you want me to bless yours, just say yes. I'm going to bless my food. We don't know what's in the kitchen. You start talking like that, they're going to say, pray over mine too. <laughs> we don't know who's back there, what's back there, but I want to pray God's blessing. Come on, bow your heads, everybody. Then Jesus tells us what the climate is of the culture that we're in. Look at what he says. If you're ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. That's what he said. An adulterous and sinful generation. If we are in a righteous and a holy generation, there would be no issue with being ashamed for Christ. If everybody was righteous, everybody was holy, everybody was living right and sanctified, he wouldn't even mention that. But he said, we are in an adulterous and a sinful generation. And that's where you need to shine the most. Jesus is looking for those who are committed. This whole passage has to do with being committed, being called out, stepping out from among the crowd, being different. He's looking for a light on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's looking for us to take the cover off of our light and let our light so shine that men can see our good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. If you're ashamed, you're not going to lift up the light. But he's telling us, if you're ashamed of me, there's going to be a consequence for your shameness. Paul took this whole theme of being ashamed and said this in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. I'm not ashamed of who he is. I'm not ashamed of what he's done in my life. I'm not ashamed of my hope in Christ Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. You don't have to justify what every pastor and preacher have done all over the country. He didn't say you don't be ashamed of that pastor that was cutting up on TV. He said you don't be ashamed of my words. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. If somebody say, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church, but let me tell you what the gospel says. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. The gospel is Jesus saves. Yeah, people make a bad reputation for Christians, but let me tell you something. Jesus saves. Jesus changes lives. Jesus brings hopes to the hopeless and help to the helpless. Let me just tell you that. I can't stand up and justify the other folk, but I'm just telling you that Jesus saved. Yeah. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. It's the power of God. You've got the power of God on the inside of you because you have the gospel on the inside of you. And God wants the gospel to get from the inside of you to the outside of you so things can be changed in this adulterous and sinful generation. He said, this is an adulterous and sinful generation, so I'm bursting right on the scene with those who are committed so we can change the culture and change the atmosphere and change the society that we are functioning in. But you can't be shamed to do that. If you're shamed, you're not going to make any change. He's not talking about being obnoxious. He's not talking about being over the top, threatening people with the word of God. He's saying not being ashamed. Are you available when the Lord wants to use you so that he can get glory out of what goes on through you? We live in a sinful generation that needs a savior. People need a savior. That's the issue right now. 
people need the Lord. And I believe we're right on the cusp of a major revival when the people of God begin to say the word of God and speak the gospel of God. I believe the power of God is going to come in this adulterous and sinful generation and change hearts like we haven't seen in a generation. But the people of God got to just come with the word of God. Jesus saved. Jesus changed life. Jesus can change you. Jesus wants to uh, touch your life and, and, and wants you to give your life to him. And we're going to see people coming to the Lord when the saints are bold and not ashamed. We live in a sinful generation where people need deliverance. There are people who haven't heard the word of God. There are people who've never heard the gospel living in our city, in our town, in your neighborhood, working next to you. They've not heard the gospel. They don't know what it means. They don't know, have a concept of it. But you have the gospel on the inside of you. This is the kind of generation where we need boldness and courage, not fear and bashfulness. Every day when we wake up is an opportunity for God to get some glory out of our lives as we interact with others. And as we begin to make ourselves available, we can see the hand of God moving in the lives of people. I was driving home Saturday night and this guy came to mind that I played golf with. I didn't know him. He was on our team. He's a professional football player, retired. And he came to mind and I called him. I said, hey, you were just on my mind. I was thinking about you, praying for you and your family. He called me Sunday morning as I was leaving home. He said, thank you for calling me, Pastor. Um, me and my wife was having a knockdown drag out last night when you called. He's been having some major problems in his family. I said, well, you must have been on God's mind because God put you on my mind at the time you was having your knockdown drag out. I know it's a rough time for you and you can't see your way through. I said, if you want me to talk to you and your wife, I'll do that. He said, she don't want to talk to nobody. I said, all right. I said, well, just tell her that a pastor you met called because God put you all on my mind, and I called at the time y'all was having a knockdown drag out. Just tell her that. Today he called me. He said, my wife came into the room and said, can we go talk to that pastor? I said, how'd that come about? He said, I don't know. I said, what did you tell her? He said, I told her just what you told me to tell her, that you had called while we were, and I let her listen to the voicemail you left, and that was it. See, when we are obedient to God and we become available, you don't know how he's going to work. You don't have to figure it out. He's working. All he needs is somebody who's not ashamed, somebody who's available, and God is ready to work and move in this adulterous and sinful generation. We're here, we're at the right place, at the right time. It ought to be like hunting season for the deer hunters. When it's hunting season coming on, they're getting ready right now. They're going out there, checking out their deer blind, and they're getting their stuff together, and they're getting their camouflage outfits, and checking out their guns, and they're getting ready because when the, the whistle blows and it's deer hunting season, get out the way, they're going down I-10. And that's the way we ought to be. This is our season. This is our day. We ought to be excited about the possibility and the privilege of joining with God and seeing God work in this adulterous and sinful generation and people's lives being changed and coming to God that's never been in a family of God before. We ought to be excited to be part of God's ammunition that he wants to use. And God says, I can't use you if you're ashamed. It is his desire to use us every day. And it is God 
who is trying to reach people all around us. Don't get distracted by the enemy who wants to get you off course, get you focused on something else. Jesus already said, if anyone would come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? And then he said, okay, now don't be ashamed. Let's get busy. God will partner with you to do great things in the kingdom. God will partner with you. You know, you're not the preacher. He'll partner with you. You're not the pastor. He'll partner with you. You're not a minister. He'll partner with you. All you have to do is be available. Ephesians 3.20 says this, and I put it up in the amplified version because I wanted to just look at it as they uh, amplified on this. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think indefinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. God can do more than we could ever even think about. We never thought God would use us like this. We never thought God thought enough of us to use us like this. But when we become available and say, Lord, just use me. I will be obedient to you. You will see God do more than you can ever think. You don't ever have to get back to that place where you say, Lord, I want you just to use me. God, will you just use me? The devil telling you, well, God, I want to use you. You're not anything. Look at you. You're not nothing. Look at everybody else. They're doing something for God. You're not doing anything for God. Yes, God will use every available vessel. God wants to use all of us. We just want to reorient ourselves for just a bit and give thanks to the Lord that he's placed us in this adulterous and sinful generation. He knew exactly what he was doing. You know the reason he called you into the kingdom? Because you have the right stuff that the Lord wants to use. You got the right stuff. Even the things that happen in our lives that were challenging and sometimes painful and horrific. The Lord knew what he was doing when he said all things will work together. They might not be good, but they're going to work together. I'll use all the stuff in your life that has happened so that you can reach somebody. You know that pain you felt? You can have compassion on somebody else with some pain. Tell them I help you through yours. Every day somebody is passing your way. Every day somebody's coming across your pathway, many of whom we never see because our eyes are not open, many of whom we never hear because our ears are not open. But God is in his supernatural ability and power is arranging and intersecting and appointing those in our lives every day. And we don't want anybody else to walk by us that the Lord intended for us to interact with so that he can impact their lives and we just let that opportunity pass by this is jerry g martin and thank you so much for joining us again as we've been sharing some messages with those of us who are believers how god wants our lives to be totally committed to him it was jesus christ who said to satan while he was being tempted do not tempt the lord your god but worship him only not only are we to worship him we are to work for him. We are not ashamed of the gospel. There are people who need to hear the word of God, and we need to tell him that Jesus is the way and that he's calling sinners to come to him. Why don't you let God use your life today to reach 
others. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is an opportunity for you to invite him into your life. If you would like to hear this message again in its entirety, you can hear it on our podcast. Go to Light of the World Daily with Jerry G. Martin. You can hear today's message as well as previous messages that have aired on this station. I invite you to be our guest at the Light of the World each Sunday. We're meeting at 10 a.m. at 16161 Old Humble Road. That's right in North Houston. If you live in Atascacita, Kingwood, Summerwood, or Fall Creek, or in North Houston, you're in our neighborhood. So come and be our guest. If you're looking for a bookstore, we have one right here on our campus. The Beacon Bookstore, where you can get Bibles, Sunday School, Curriculum, church supplies, communion supplies, or whatever you need. Call the Beacon at 281-441-2885. That's 281-441-2885. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, may the Lord our God richly bless you, and we'll be with you again next time.